is the Requiem Metal Podcast, episode 25, Keel Hall.
Welcome to the Requiem Metal Podcast. This is your host, Jason Hundy. And I'm Mark Rudolph. And we would, what did we just hear there, Mark? We just heard 360 by the Cleveland Great and... Uh, very underrated. Very underrated keel haul. Keel haul. And uh, keel hauling, for those of you who uh, Let the want, history teacher tell you about yeah, this. want a little, little history lesson, it was actually created by the Dutch Navy, I just found out, uh, during like the 1600s and their explorations of the world. And... Apparently what it involves is you're you're tied to some sort of a rope and you're dropped off the edge of a ship and you're dragged under the ship where in hopes that you'll either drown or get scraped by all the barnacles and muscles and things attached to the bottom which will like cut you open. Which is the keel haul, yeah. Yeah, so, so you get you know, keel haul under the keel. And then you get pulled up on the other side and you know, by then the salt water is either, you know, dug in your you know, wounds or you've drowned and you're not alive. So it's a pretty apt name. Yeah, it's a it's a cool name. And uh Keel Hall, as as Mark said, hail from Cleveland and that, that song right there in particular is from their record two. Which is, of course, their second full-length record. Uh, aptly titled. Aptly titled. Um, Kill All is cool. I mean, this is this is a band that um, you know, just like a podcast we did a couple weeks ago, Blind Guardian. You know, a band that you know I had interviewed a couple times and kind of felt near and dear, and you know that sort of thing too. I think uh, Keelhaw for both of us is is a band that we're we're sort of endeared to because of our, our associations with them actually, you know. Yeah, I mean this a band I've probably seen more than I've seen them half a dozen times probably and uh, on a, and even at the record store that uh, we both used to work at, we actually had a uh, empty space next door and actually got these guys to come up and play and that was huge. That was like the biggest show we ever you we know, ever had did at the record store. A bunch of local store. bands yeah. support for them, and they were super stoked and excited. And yeah. I'm curious what they think about that show. You know, if they have that on their band website, like the worst show we ever played was Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Or uh, actually, compared to some of the other venues we saw them, it was a big. I, I think big space. It's, I think they were impressed that we threw together something pretty uh, pretty big for them. And yeah, we'll, we got them money, and they were playing. I think Lansing that previous night, or maybe the the night after, or something. And, and, and if I remember right, because like. We did. Uh, we met. We met up with Keelhoff for the first time at Max, uh, which is a bar in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, yep, Lansing, Michigan. And um, we did an interview with him there, and did like a really cool photo shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, which pretty soon, when we get the the Requiem uh, website up, we're gonna have like the full issues of Eclipse and Requiem magazine. You can up go back there. and look at these old. Interviews. You can look at some of these. But the photos in particular were were hilarious because there was a cool like uh, disgusting like pop old popcorn machine that looked like it had like black tar in it and yeah, just years and years of oil and not cleaning it. Oh, it was it was nasty. We did like a whole photo shoot based around that, and the guys really enjoyed it. And then later on, I kind of interviewed Will, and Will and I had a very humorous exchange of uh, ideas uh, some of his top five records and things like that mm-hmm. were, were pretty clever and so we always kind of stayed in association with will and i emailed him back and forth and i remember mentioning to him one time that like it'd be you know be great if you guys ever want to play here you know we have a place available mm-hmm. and he emailed me and said you know uh one of our shows got canceled we've got an open night like if you get us gas money, can you get us if you could pay us gas money and give us a little bit of you know cash for food and stuff like that? We'll, and they, you know we'll sold merch and stuff there yeah. too, and yeah. bought some stuff for the store. And and, uh, and so we put some together. Mark, uh, you made an awesome flyer. Yeah, which, uh, yeah. you were saying you, you can't find can't it find right it. now. <laughs> I have one framed and stuff, but it's 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 really neat kind of experience. And we asked a bunch of the the better local bands in the scene around that area. Uh, some of which are kind of big in Detroit. Like Anathalo and would they did they play that one? Uh, I can't remember. I know. Um, the band that's on our friend Mark's uh, Saw Our Ghost um, uh, label played. A couple of them did. The one that sounds very much like uh, Isis, which escapes my, my mind right now. And then the one that 
came from Ben in the uh, Nain Rouge. Nain Rouge. Played. Okay. Uh, and then uh, there was a couple other bands. Gavin, Gavin Black. Did they play? Yeah, I'm trying to picture that flyer. It was like I, four or five bands. Yeah, I, I can't pretty, remember. Pretty big um, deal. I wish I had the flyer here, but it's it's at my place where where Mark's recording podcast here. Else we check for you, but it was cool. Like all these bands wanted to play for free just to play with Keel Hall. Like mm-hmm. they were like pumped because Keel Hall was kind of heroes of theirs. But anyways, kind of a cool story. And so we have a, a kind of a deep respect and and are endeared to these guys, and uh, we'd love to kind of spread the gospel of Keel Hall out. Well, they, to, they kind to of people. came out in an era where of uh, you know this whole like. It's kind of the, the the metalcore thing was starting to like diverge off a little bit, and this was more like you know the Hydrahead art kind of end to it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they came out at the same time as like Mastodon, which have gone on to huge success. ISIS, ISIS Converge was starting to like do the yeah. Jane Doe stuff at this time. Caven was experimenting with Jupiter. Uh, and- Cleveland's got a pretty interesting scene. We've got you know like uh, Craw and Boulder, which are pretty Abdullah, the which these yep. guys one of a couple of the guys play in Abdullah. Uh, uh, the drummer plays in Craw. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boulder, which is just a cool little band. A great uh, name for a heavy metal. If you've band. never if you've never heard Boulder, they're they're great. Uh, there's some other bands from that kind of scene as well. Um, La Gertonia, I think some of the guys had some associations with. But um, you know, it's it's they're they're an interesting hybrid of a lot of different musical sounds, as I'm sure you heard there. Um, they do a lot of music that's mostly instrumental, that which would fit in with like kind of what Isis or Pelican or some of those bands kind of do. Neurosis to some extent, mm-hmm. there's a big influence of theirs. Well, I think a lot they owe a lot to Neurosis as far as the vocal interchange between you know the guys. Uh, I can't even think of Von Till and uh, what's the other vocal Scott Kelly, Scott Kelly from Neurosis. Neurosis. Yeah, and here it's uh, the guys that do them are. Um, oh, it's Chris Smith and uh, Aaron Dallison. And Aaron Dallison, yeah, and. Um, one of the other things that you hear, obviously, besides kind of the the metalcore, hardcore kind of sound that I think is even more, you know, predominant, especially in the the song you just heard, 360, from uh, 2, is the sludgecore kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, Melvin's I Hate God, um, really the Melvin's especially. You yeah. Know, that, that, like, that's a huge, like, that thick slab, but still, like, got kind of the roots in, like, punk rock, hardcore I think you even know. their attitudes that way. They're, I mean, everything's got a sense of humor. Yeah, here. you know, they don't take themselves too seriously. But the they're a, a hell of a pack of musicians too. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when Will's playing, Will uh, Sharf on drums is just you know he does some amazing. It sounds stuff. like a mess. So you see him play live. He had a piece of crap for a drum drum kit. I mean, it, it looked like you know the first one I ever had. Mm-hmm. And the way he he played that thing, he ended up like breaking one of the the kick drum pedals and everything else. But the guy's always, I mean, he's like a free jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. Really, the way he's playing around with stuff, he's never plays the, like the obvious choice. Really creative stuff. I think he's, I, I would put him in the same league, league as Brain from, uh, you know, from Mastodon. I think he, he I mean, he's not yeah, as Brain's, technical. Brain's yeah. more technical. I think Will's more, he, he's got, he's got more emotion behind what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I think it's more, uh, exp- not experimental, but it's, he it kind of goes more with feeling than mm-hmm. technicality. Which is more like the improvisation yeah. aspect, the jazz aspect you were kind of mentioning and stuff, which, you know, I mean, Will might kind of like laugh at something like that. He might just say, I just play drums, you know, like, yeah. you know, but, but that's the thing about Keel Hall. You ask them uh, kind of highfalutin questions or you ask them like, you know, man, you guys are like this really like interesting hybrid and they're just kind of like, they shrug their shoulders like, whatever, we just, yeah, we just play music, you know, like they, they don't take themselves seriously at all. And that's unfortunate for them because I really feel like 
you know, like you said, they they fit into this this scene that was emerging in the late '90s, early 2000s, which is when their first couple records kind of came out. And that scene has now gone on and become huge. You know, look how big Pelican is. Look how big ISIS, Mastodon, on major, on major labels. Major label, you know, wow. uh, even Converge has had like this consistency to some extent. Um, and it's almost like Killhall missed out on some of that. And it's kind of unfortunate. And that's. Mm-hmm. You know, not not the only reason we're doing a podcast. One of the reasons, first and foremost, is we we love these guys. You know, they're and I think all their these three records that they put out hold up incredibly well. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't seem dated. Like you go back and you know, if I hear like the first Dillinger record, it seems a little dated to me. Mm-hmm. Sure. And even some of the the consequ- you know sequential records from that. But um, these guys particularly have really like it. Just stands the test of time as being really good music. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like I don't know why they just couldn't make it over that hump you know in terms of like getting to that well, next level they didn't i don't remember hearing much of a push it was all like this this kind of like uh grassroots thing like everybody like loved them that were musicians like musicians are involved in the music industry somehow or worked in record stores or, mm-hmm. or that kind of thing but as far as just the public at large like, i don't know what's what's there not to like about these records i know i know you know and the first record they put out was on escape artist which was a a smaller label at the time but it had a lot of street cred i mean McCord isis Conrad, who's yeah. pretty much i think one of the bigger guys up at relapse, uh, relapse. records now is he was he had a, a huge push behind all of his releases mm-hmm. really believed in all of his bands well he did some of the isis stuff i think uh mosquito control ep was on high uh was on escape artist before isis moved over to ipecac and some of that stuff yeah i'm trying to think of it i can't um, think of any of the other acts that he had well on burn there. it down was anodyne. on there anodyne was on there which anodyne featured members of uh 27 and, 27 and i mean you know it's, it's a great like early label to put your first release on because you know it's a, a small label with probably like 10 or 12 like really really pretty high quality bands that sure. can be promoted you know within that that field i mean i remember you know when i did like all the hardcore ordering and, and punk ordering uh at the record store i mean anytime a new release would show up on escape artists i'd order it because mm-hmm. it just standards their standards of quality were pretty high let's yeah. put it that way they were like hydrohead before hydrohead really sure. kind of got their feet in yeah it. or the early years of like a trust kill or, or band you know labels that used to matter you know yeah. that, that no longer really <laughs> anyone cares about yeah uh, and so their first record was simply titled Keel Hall, and and of course it came out in 1999 on uh, first on Cambodia Recordings, which was I guess like a, some kind of co-op uh, record label. I was kind of reading about it, okay. And then it got re-released uh, a year later on 1999 on Escape Artist. So actually it came out in '98 originally. So, okay. um, and again, one of the elements you're going to see on these this band is that. They're vocals sometimes when they're necessary, mm-hmm. but they're not afraid to just play a song that should be instrumental instrumentally. If they feel like all of a sudden singing four minutes into the song for the first time, they're going to do it. Like there's there's sort of this. Um, I don't want. They play music for music's sakes. You know, they're not trying to like sell records. Well, they're not trying to like. Yeah, there's be not a big. there's not a lead player. Everybody works in unison all the time, and if it doesn't, he doesn't have to keep the four four beat going the whole time. He drops out, comes back in, and reflects the theme. If they use like vocals as an instrument instead of like a, a frontman kind of persona, so yeah. And and to me, like they're, they're democratic. At, they're yeah, exactly. And they're demo, uh, They're uh, one of the other kind of influences that I think kind of we fail to mention is I hear a lot of like the old like amphetamine records uh, kind of attitude and like style of playing, like Unsane, Early Helmet, mm-hmm. Jesus Lizard, just some of that kind of like anti. Even like to some degree, like old butthole surfers and stuff sure, like that. You sure, know? you know, I mean, it's, it's all sort of mixed in there in a way, and you'll hear it especially on their their, their early records um, when it's it's more coming out of like the hardcore punk 
sound mixed in with some sludginess you know mm-hmm. it's it's really on two i'm saying hardcore punk that's like you know 80s hardcore punk yeah or like black flag yeah. kind of stuff you know like or, or you know exactly. not like your rancids and things yeah, like that exactly so. uh but but it's there like it, i don't even want to say musically hardcore it's like punk. Attitude. it's the attitude yeah. that they have um and they kind of just sort of shun that you know if melvin's are hardcore punk then these guys are like hardcore punk sure you know, if like you know if a equals i mean B. they even have like a weird i don't know if this is accurate or not but like a they have the feeling of like the Pixies to mm-hmm. me. That same kind of kind yeah. of vibe. Yeah, I I I can I can definitely you know understand what you're saying with that. And they're not going to get more technical really until two. I really feel like they they kind of up their chops on on the the second record, and then they really start moving on two into a more progressive era. Um, with where they start adding like the ISIS neurosis sort of influences a lot more, and they get mm-hmm. more atmospheric. They get more kind of you can even sort of throw some King Crimson in there to some extent. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, in terms of, like, some of the stop-start kind of stuff that they're doing and just and a the lot ways, of the, the, the way they play is not, it's not your, your the typical way either. Just the way they they go back and forth and flavor things, and it's just... Some of the riffing is angular in the way that, like, Fugazi yeah. meets, like, Robert Fripp or something like that. It's yeah. just a really kind of strange way of playing guitar, and the, and the drumming and sort of stuff and is, like, really kind of, like, it's, it's really beat-heavy. It reminds way. me a lot of of jazz mm-hmm. to be I mean not to some people think that's a, that's a negative but I think it's a positive in terms of like the the scope of jazz that we're kind of talking about like mm-hmm. the, the 60s sort of energy era yeah um, the ex- more kind of experimental type stuff um, so anyways you're going to hear that stuff but there's also like we mentioned Mastodon there's like a southern fried sort of thing thrown in too mm-hmm. like some of the instrumentals that they do like at the end of their records kind of have this like Leonard Skinner corrosion conformity kind of feel yeah the LWM I think that's going to be our show closer, show closer. That, it's, it's just like this epic like you know walking into the sunset kind of song mm-hmm. it's yeah great. it's like you know the end of the, the end of the movie that's yeah, closing or, credit you know, song western you know yeah. the, the hero walks off into the, the desert or something but you know you'll hear it uh uh, we won't play the song we debated on playing it but on the first record it closes with ESP and then the second record closes with which I think is a more successful LWM attempt yeah, than the first one but so we're gonna hear uh, we're gonna hear a couple of tunes from their first record uh, Enervate and Fuimus and um, don't ask me what those mean so we're gonna hear those two tunes uh, we're gonna start with uh, with Fuimus and then get into Enervate and then I think we're gonna close out with a song from two uh Lackadaisical Chinese tube socks. <laughs>
and lackadaisical Chinese tube socks comes from our favorite record too. Uh, you know, I think I don't know. In some ways, I'd love to hear what the next record is after uh, subject to change without notice, which is the the last Keel Hall that's been which released. They threw us off by not calling it three. Yeah, exactly. I was a little a little upset about that, <laughs> but uh, I'll forgive Will and the guys for that. But um, two to me is like it's focused for that early sound that they're kind of going for. I feel mm-hmm. like I feel like they're really experimenting a lot on the third record. And that's great. Well, I, I like the what record, they're suggesting. It's written for the record, and these are written for they could be singles almost. Yeah, exactly. Know? And they're they're more sort of singular piece, pieces of music, which is why we started the show off with a singular piece from this, mm-hmm. and we closed that last set with, you know, kind of a singular piece. Uh, Laxadaisical Chinese Tube Socks has like a um, that that part in the middle where the vocals come back in, mm-hmm. and it kind of has that just utterly. I mean, it's almost based around a hardcore breakdown. Yeah, you know, you can almost picture tough like guy core. you know, tough Some guy, motion. tough core. You know, like you know, the guy on stage, the vocalist, kind of raising and lowering his hands, like get in the pit, you know. But it's almost mocking it in a way. Yeah, and then it uh, it really kind of closes out with 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 just sludge core essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, if the song kind of started off with some some kind of more progressive elements and, and stuff like that, and then kind of got into the more of the sludge core stuff. But two. Um, not only did we review this record for the magazine, but this is when we interviewed the band. Mm-hmm. So I think we we've latched onto this record as being, you know, the era we were over time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we this is the the show they played was based on this tour, you know, with us at New Moon mm-hmm. and stuff. So um, it's not to dismiss the third record by any means because I think the third record is probably better. But I listen to two more. Yeah. If that makes it's, any sort of sense. It's more energetic. You know? It's more immediate. You know, exactly. More energetic and immediate. And you can kind of pick that up from 360 and days ago. But, uh, you know, we're going to get into a, a big set from two. And some of the things that are kind of happy on this record is that they're starting to, like, exercise some more kind of influences. You know, on New Void, you're going to hear... Uh, a, it's a sound garden. Jesus Christ plays riff yeah, almost. It's a huge, you know, grungy kind of... Uh, and, and Soundgarden, in some ways, has associations in the Sludgecore. You know, I yeah. mean, some of their early Lottery records. Love and some of their yeah, earlier stuff. Exactly. And then it kind of, uh, we're going to hear that in New Void, which is the song we're going to play next. And, and the beautiful thing about this is New Void kind of goes into this, like, it crashes into this 40 seconds of just, like, getting the crap kicked out of you. Yeah. Um, Falling down a hill or something. I, I mean, I, I don't even know what you would call Unwound. It's it's really, like, almost like a grindcore song. Uh, yeah. Like a Dillinger song, maybe is is what yeah. you could associate with. It's just a, like a lot of like screaming. It's, there's an immediacy to it that you don't hear uh, very often, and, and especially in this era, the only bands that were doing anything like that with this sort of like short burst of immediacy was Converge on Jane Doe, mm-hmm. and then the early Dillinger stuff, where it was just like 40 seconds of just like yeah, kicking the crap out of the face, the mosh pit, yeah. And it's it's sort of a beautiful sort of transition between the new void song and this practicing tune, which you know you as a drummer, you in particular, have kind of. I'm a drummer. Quotes. I'm, yeah, I'm a drum. It's a hobby. Of mine. It's a hobby. But you you said yourself you've been trying to play like some of these keelhaul songs and practicing, which is where he's doing like this great cymbal work. Yeah, a lot of cymbal shuffle. I mean, and everything he's playing, it's it's off time in a good sense. He's playing around beats instead of playing like on the beat all the time, and just the way he accents things and comes back in, and he's playing a really small kit i think he's just got uh as far as the the drum kits i think he's got a snare uh a tom a floor tom and the bass drum i mean mm-hmm. he's playing a really stripped down kit so getting that kind of 
stuff out of it's even that much more impressive. Yeah, and I think what did I? There's a there's a quote from back back in the day. The review I wrote, I said, where the drummer takes the same approach. A symbol-guided doom missile that crushes dreams and eardrums alike. <laughs> doom missile always made me sound think of like king uh, missile. Yeah, something or or something like that. Coon would say. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like a, and then uh, you're gonna hear kind of a, a totally different kind of song for them. I, I call it like I equate it to like neurosis playing an entombed clandestine like mm-hmm. B side. Yeah, and that's the song we're gonna close things out. I don't even know why why the I might be completely off base with it, but it. It's so weird. Like some of the vocals on 39F um, sound like the kind of badly, crudely kind of produced vocal stuff that Nikki did over mm-hmm. top clandestine, where obviously like they didn't have a real vocalist, so Nikki just tried to sing. And yeah. a lot of people have issues with that. You know, I've always sort of found it sort of endearing and kind of charming in a way mm-hmm. how, how bad the vocals are. It, but there's almost that same like tone of screaming that you hear on 39F but mixed with like this neurosis sensibility and you know again you, you brought up this sort of trade-off vocal line that you know vocals that go back and forth between the main two guys and Keelhaw and it's, it's very you know it's evoked very well on a song like this but you know I mean Two was two sold well at the, at our record store. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we promoted the hell out of it and stuff. Sold probably thirty copies. Of yeah, them. I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, why why they didn't get more kind of attention for it. But I, they, they toured a lot. I mean, the, the places they toured at were like your mom's basement, yeah, garages, some I mean, crap tiny places. So, yeah. and and who are they? T- do you remember who they're touring with? I don't remember who I saw them with because we saw them a couple times with different different bands, but. uh yeah, I just I don't know if maybe they just didn't see the right years or they didn't have enough records coming out in the right times because that's that's kind of king. I mean, ISIS has put out how many records and yeah, and it took them a while to really like connect. You know, it took them I, like three records to really kind of glom on outside of you know the whole underground scene of all the like kind of art rock nerd kids that were totally into the thing. And then it finally, I think once they got into Epicac, that second record on Epicac kind of put them over the top. Sure, and I feel like. I feel like these guys really laid a lot of the groundwork that that bands like Macedon or Pelican kind of got successful off of. Like, had there not been the Kiel Halls of the world, those bands wouldn't have had like a scene to like build upon. And it's almost like Kiel Hall did a lot of the hard work and got almost no credit for it, you know. And that's it's kind of Cleveland for it, isn't it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, that's the the, the working, working class city, and yeah. the, it always gets crapped on, but yet they come out with like unbelievable stuff sure and, and the, harvey p car yeah know? i mean all these like weird underground things that don't get huge success but are like immensely important and i say like you know cleveland in some ways has some associations i i you know like going back from like rocket from the tombs and stuff like that mm-hmm. that there's always been a connection between the the sort of detroit scene and and kind of the the cleveland scene in a way in terms of this but they're almost a bridge industrial working class towns that yeah like how the the new york scene with velvet underground all that crap and then yet we had mc5 and everything cleveland is kind of like right in the middle there yeah and you know not just geographically but actually like music wise Mm -hmm. they kind of embrace things from both of those sides yeah and i mean you know out of rocket the record from the tombs you get um uh What's the band that kind of re-recorded Final Solution and some of that after like Rocket from the Tombs kind of imploded? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Um, I want to sure. say it's not. It's um, oh man, it's gonna bother me. I'll, I'll have to come back to it. But there's there's been like a, a lot of that that sort of stuff that's happened in the kind of the Cleveland scene, and it's you know much the same way that for years MC5 and Stooges didn't get the credit that they deserved. Uh, for for kind of creating you know like the roots of sort of punk rock 
Um, yeah. You know, it, it, the same way of, like, Rocket from the Tombs didn't get a lot of credit, and then Rocket from the Tombs became the Dead Boys. That's the, the band okay. I was kind of thinking of. You know, like, those are sort of, like, streetwise bands that never sold any records, but, like, people within the scene or within the music world love those bands and appreciate it, like, how real those bands really were. Yeah, I mean, all the, the, cra- all the hippie feel-good crap that was going on out, you know, out in the West Coast, and then MC5 was... You know, the Blaine and Alter is so the, political. Yeah. You know, the whole like White Panther movement, all this stuff was like unbelievable. Yet that's the stuff on the West Coast was the stuff that got all the attention, mm-hmm. probably undeservedly. And then Velvet Underground for associations with like Andy Warhol and things like that. But still, Ven- Velvet Underground didn't even really sell records. They just appealed to the right audience who then went were, on and started yeah, bands. You know, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, so. basically, I mean, they were just like this this art house, this fixture in New York kind of sure. thing with the right crowd. And, uh, you know, Cleveland just has never really gotten any kind of respect for, you know, much like Detroit in, in some ways, you know. Like, Isn't that where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's at? Yeah, which is kind of <laughs> ironic, <laughs> you know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's bands like the Gories and um, uh, Dirt Bombs that, that have been mm-hmm. playing Detroit for years and just can't. They just You almost can't break out. I mean, yeah, White Stripes is kind of an anomaly, but yet they're, you know, white people on the outside coming in to, using Detroit as the, you know, the, the whole Kid Rock sure, thing. Sure, sure. But... Yeah, so and I, I know these guys are, are proud of Cleveland and stuff, and you know I, I remember talking to them about that kind of in the interview and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And there was a little sense of frustration, you know, sure. the fact that they couldn't kind of get out of that scene a little bit. So, anyways, we digress and we should uh, get into some music. So I'm sure you don't <laughs> want to hear us rant about the history of uh, the socio-political history of Midwestern cities, but uh, we're gonna hear New Void and the short burst which you might not even notice is another song, which is Unwound. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of gut punches you right out of it, uh, which goes into practicing, and then we're going to close things out with 39F. All from the album, too.
just heard 39F practicing unwound and new void from the Keelhaul 2 record. We're basically going to be playing almost every song from, from yeah. this record, except for, I think, one or two songs on here. But it's a pretty short record, but again, it's... It's, it's a Rain and Blood, nice, quick, yeah. short, there's not a bad song on it's it. It's the Rain and Blood of Sludgecore, if <laughs> you will. Uh, there's a new sticker for the reissue. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're going to kind of stay on Hydrahead uh, with the next record. And... Um, do a, like like Mark was saying before. Their next record is called "Subject to Change Without Notice," and it was put out in uh, what year was it put out? Oh, three. Yeah, two thousand three. Two thousand three. And um, you know, in between this, they they toured a lot. They put out a seven inch with Anodyne uh, on Chainsaw Safety Records. But you know, again, I don't know what the record sales were for two, but clearly they they felt they needed to kind of go in a. a slightly different direction um it's a natural kind of progression from the last record yeah they just want to get more musical they're writing like you said a whole record um Mm -hmm. not so much singles where one song kind of bleeds into another and it's like thematic you know it's kind of moving in just different directions and there's that that. um what is it is it shackleton uh or no tits of war chicken i mean basically they're like there's like a a set of three or four tracks that almost bleed into one another like if you take them out of context it almost seems weird yeah and there's an anticipation at the end for something else and we did take one song out of context we took hmg out of the middle of like this kind of five song kind of suite of music Mm -hmm. you know but time constraints you know yeah by the record (laughs) we we feel the things that were presented on that song or you know presented other songs we played so Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily need to be done and there's one song on here uh, which I would have loved to have played if we had like nine extra minutes, and it's dry, uh, "Driver's Bread," and it's it sounds just like a Pelican uh, Isis song. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's something you didn't hear on too. Like you might have heard like sludgy kind of elements that Isis and stuff like the kind of the doomier, more atmospheric, yeah, uh, neurosis kind of vibe was going on. But this is is like a full embracing of like the more experimental nature of Hydrahead music. Uh, the the song titles are getting just as sort of crazy as they were on two, but stream stream of conscious like right on napkins kind of. Th- I mean, there's probably some inside jokes and you know, but it's it, it, you know it's taking like kind of the botch kind of approach. I, I even hear like certain things going on on here that remind me of botch. In particular, I think it's the uh, the Shackleton or Carl versus the ten thousand pound shadow has like a real botch kind of feel, like we are the Romans kind of thing. More like uh, oh, what the hell. This is, I'm trying to think of that song, the song title of the Soul Man. Uh, uh, C. Thomas Howell's The Soul Man. Man. Yeah, uh, you know, just there's just a lot of different things kind of happening on this record, and so you know, it's it's kind of Kill hasn't put out anything since this, and then and so we don't know, you know, what the last tour was four years ago. Yeah, and I mean they've played a few shows around the Cleveland area, mm-hmm. like according to their website and stuff, because we we kind of have been investigating these guys, like what happened to them? Did they break up? I just Did they assume they broke up until I was just a couple days ago. I was thinking, I'll just listen to this, like yeah, it'd be cool to do a, a Keelhawk show, do a little bit of research, and yeah, like what the hell happened to these guys? And and apparently they've written some songs and they're still kind of like fine-tuning them. I, I just read an interview from like 06 or 07 and he's like, yeah, we have some songs written. You know, which is odd. I mean, I don't it's, know. If, from my experience, it's never a good sign when a band has that kind of much downtime between records because it's, it's either going to knock it out of the park or it's going to be like, eh. Mm-hmm. Like the last dissection record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had twelve years to write a record, and that was the best thing they could kind of come up with, or, or Saint Anger, or something like yeah. that. You know, that kind of thing. Where it's just like, wow. We were in the studio for fourteen months. You know? Yeah, spent forty million dollars on it. It sounds like a turd in turd a ball. trash can. Yeah. Which, to be fair, we should note since this is a metal podcast, the new Metallica's 
decently good. I, I think it's 60, brilliant. I in think some it's sixty percent good. Yeah, they managed to finally capture something, and you can't. I don't want to turn this into a Metallica podcast, but no band's going to capture that glory of their early years. No, you can't have that kind of fire anymore. That's, yeah, I, you know, that rare, youthful. Yeah, sort of rarely does that ever happen. But they did pull in some of that energy back. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's important to be said. But but uh, you know, all the slaggers, you know, just lay I'm sure off you were all waiting out there in the podcast world for what do Mark and Jason <laughs> think about the new Metallica, which has already been off for probably you know a, a month, month and, and a half. half. Yeah. So but there's our definitive statement on Death Magnetic. <laughs> Go buy reasonably good sixty forty. Yeah. Rick Rubin put me over the top. So yeah. Thank you, Rick Rubin, for helping us. And if you like Rick Rubin, listen to the new Hours record. There, I'll say that. Rick Rubin, you should find Keel Hall and produce yeah. her next. Yeah, record. exactly. <laughs> Resurrect Keel Hall. Uh, but anyways, the subject to change without notice. Uh, the title itself is kind of like talking about where they're going. I mean, yeah, they're they're yeah. you know, have a mission statement. Yeah, the album subject going. to change. We're just going to do what we want. We're going to write a record that we we like and, and kind of go from there. So and I think they kind of established early on that they can. There's no limitations of their style. They could go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, as long as it has that same kind of. Uh, th- that feeling of unity between the, the members. Like, they can do whatever. They could do a free jazz record. They could do a stripped-down punk record. I mean, or they could do a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of King Crimson progressive elements happening, I think, on this record more than anything else you've heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's... Well, uh, it, almost some of those King Crimson elements filtered through Tool, filtered into Keel yeah, Hall's Yeah, uh, Answer the Chicken mm-hmm. has a real Tool f- be, uh, beginning to it. It's either Answer the Chicken or Randall, which we're going to hear Randall like when we kind of close things out, but... Uh, in particular, we'll, 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 I'll find out for you because I can't remember which which one it is. If it's answer chicken or whatever, but has this like really awesome kind of like tool like it's tool. They have they have really distinctive uh, pick, like single note picking things that like the, they kind of they do the theme and then that that kind of transcends the whole song. Yeah, and it, it kind of adds like an eerie like kind of beginning where it's opening up into something. It much sounds like bigger. a chord played backwards almost. Mm-hmm. It's got the neurosis does it a lot too. Yeah. I feel like so. Maybe, who knows what it, what's influencing their their sound at that point? If it's Q, uh, neurosis or tool, but or. Just, God only knows what yeah. else, because these guys seem like they're kind of off the map in terms of some of their influences. But uh, we're going to hear a, a, a five songs here because a lot of these songs are kind of short. We're going to hear the Gooch, just for my favorite song title, Carl versus the Thousand Pound Shadow, Shackleton, Tits of War, which kind of bleeds right into Answer the Chicken. And uh, any any thoughts? No, I was just I'm just trying to think. I was if I was going to say anything about the Gooch or not. <laughs> Yeah, I have a, a weird recollection that they talked about that in like the Jackass movie that they, yeah. like, which is part of the human anatomy that you could you can look it up that a man uh, has. That's what the, that's what the internet's for. Uh, look up the Gooch and uh, well, if you get into legal troubles, don't don't. It's not our fault. <laughs> don't download anything. Don't download anything. So enjoy some Keelhaul from Subject to Change Without Notice.
You just heard Answer the Chicken, Tits of War, Shackleton, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, Carl versus the Thousand Pound Shadow and the Gooch, which is indeed a part of the anatomy, which I assumed it was. Yeah, and uh, because it's a G-rated, uh, PG-rated podcast, we won't uh, get into that. But apparently, UrbanDictionary.com, yeah. they'll tell you all about it. Shackleton apparently is uh, the sheer enjoyment of men wearing ladies' underwear when in the company of fellow men. And in case you need that, uh, like like you're at a spelling bee and you need it used in a sentence, uh, these lacy French knickers made me tingle with sheer Shackleton. Is, wow. the, is the sentence that you can find in Urban Dictionary. So leave it to Keel Hall and their sense of humor to, to you know, keep it keep Bringing it righteous. new words into lexicon. Yeah, exactly. They're just they're just trying to promote a, a, a new vocabulary of, of the world. That's me. Okay. So, uh, but anyways, uh, some, some good stuff there. We're going to kind of close things out tonight with um, Randall, which is probably, probably my favorite song on the, the, the last record that they did. And then again, you know, when Randall features a couple guest players, doesn't it? Yeah, Cliff Meyer, which I'm not for sure which band he's from uh, in particular. Um, is he from Red Sparrows or from Yes, Isis? he is from Isis and, and Red Sparrows. I okay. think he's on this song. Is, is that Cliff Meyer that's on it? Yeah. Okay. I can't remember. I know they had a guest uh, guest person on there, but I I thought it was someone else, not just Cliff Meyer. But eh. well, That's what the back of the record says. Yeah, <laughs> and God only knows. you know, The back <laughs> of the record's never wrong. So... Uh, but aesthetically, you know, it's a neat record. Um, it looks a lot like the ISIS layout. I, I would imagine that Aaron did. It looks like Aaron Turner design, yeah. Um, you know, complete with what looks to be something from the the boat. You know, so it's kind of re-referencing some of the the keelhaul terminology. Maybe the next record will be called Scuttled or something. Scuttled, yeah, or Barnacles or Scraped Barnacles. Uh, hopefully not, because yeah, we we, re- we actually death that whole pirate exactly. crap going on, but. Actually, did you know that this is sort of random, but I wouldn't know this unless my students told me that last Friday was National Talk Like a Pirate Day. Who brought that up? I don't know. My students who are strange people. Wow. Yeah. Some odd ones. These are the same odd ducks that have also talked. This is a nationally sanctioned holiday. I don't know if it is. Post office closed and everything. (laughs) But maybe Keel Hall. No mail for you today. Maybe Keel Hall could play at a national talk like a pirate festival in honor of their associations with the uh, naval industry. (laughs) So... But uh, Randall, Randall is a, a kind of a cool tune. It really encapsulates everything that I think the their last record was trying to say, and maybe hints it in terms of towards the future what their their future sound could maybe even sound like. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, we're going to close with um, one of their kind of trademark album closing instrumentals, uh, which is LWM from the two records. So we're going to kind of return back to where we began. Uh, but again, you know, we hope that with with a band like Keelhaul. There's a very good chance you may not have heard of these guys before, let sure. alone heard them. And well, so, see, with that glut of metalcore releases that we have, when everybody and their grandma was putting out the CD, it was easy to get stuff lost in the shuffle. But and Hager especially has usually got a pretty good track record for for their releases, but it's easy for stuff to you know fall through the cracks. Especially in the era of like '96 to like 2002, 2003, Hydrahead was was really like solid solidly yeah. consistent nowadays they've they've sort of become very trendy and and you know there's kind of more hit or miss you know i don't yeah, know if i, I so. trust everything that i i you know find on hydrahead but i think also the glut of sort of isis pelican kind of copycats this uh mm-hmm. this so-called um the whole instrumental revolution thing yeah that mono had know, been doing for years before exactly that. mono had been doing you know red sparrows is out there kind of doing some stuff associated with it you know there, there's bands that rise to the top of that you know like old man's gloom and uh, and even like bands like maserati that were around like kind of before all that stuff hit that were doing pretty interesting stuff mm-hmm. just every, every, that stuff conspiracy got, yeah, which stuff is more lost. proggy but yeah, yeah. 
uh, and, and I feel like Keelhaul Party was, Helicopters, weren't they similar to that mm-hmm. too? Yeah, Party Helicopters had they were they were in a, so much an instrumental band, but they were like a but they had vocal an indie band with like thing. sort of sludgy riffs, almost like an updated version of Only Living Witness or Quicksand or didn't or have almost like Carcass meets Slint kind of thing yeah it was it weird. was bizarre you know for sure and and definitely like if you're into bands like that and you've never kind of approached Keelhaul before because maybe you thought they were like just a standard like metalcore band or yeah. just another of these sort of bands uh they're definitely worth checking out i mean we've played a, a pretty considerable amount of their their back catalog tonight so i think you have a good feel for what whether or not you you dig them or not uh and and hopefully maybe you know with a if you could create a rumble in the underground and maybe you could you know give a jolt to these guys and let them know that like there's people out there that <laughs> want to hear a new keelhaw record yeah and i uh, would like to see these guys tour and if you ever get the chance if you're in the midwestern area and they're playing a local show or something i mean these guys are, are dynamite they're right up there mastodon you yeah. know in terms of just like energy tightness and musicality and just mm-hmm. explosiveness you know it's it's a it's a great time and we've been lucky enough to see them like we said several times and stuff so uh and hopefully in the near future when you you know when we get the website updated uh the requiem requiem podcast or requiem metal.com right no it's just requiem podcast requiem podcast.com uh when we get that updated, there you'll be able to find a Kill Hall interview that's, that's pretty entertaining and uh, Kill Hall reviews and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, along with many other fine heavy metal acts out there, sure, uh, all from what two thousand one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, from 90, 97 to two thousand two. So actually, from ninety three to two thousand two, when we get the the Requiem stuff in there as well. Yeah. So, uh, so you'll get a good a good feel of all this stuff. But if you have emails, uh, comments that you want to make to us via email or uh, go to iTunes, leave some notes, let us know what you think, um, what we need to change, what you like, whether there are bands like like Keelhaul or in the previous weeks like Dark Throne, Blind Guardian, Carcass, all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, what you like, what you don't like. I mean, we're just sort of playing off of what we love and we have kind of a diverse palette of sort of heavy stuff that we're kind of into. and. Uh, Keelhaw kind of fits that mold mm-hmm. so let us know what you think at uh, requiempodcast at gmail.com or like I said go to iTunes or go to requiempodcast.com and you can kind of leave some some notes and leave some feedback that, we'd much appreciate it yeah so we're going to close things out tonight with Randall and LWM which is a kind of the triumphant uh, western movie closing credits uh, instrumental that we talk about talked about earlier uh, so hopefully you enjoy this stuff so for the Requiem Metal Podcast I'm Jason and I'm Mark.
Mm-hmm.